0: Trinity, in the sermon series, Faith Foundations, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. How, how many of you have heard the word Trinity before? Most of you, if not all of you, have heard the word Trinity in some way, shape, or form in church, or if you've watched The Matrix, then you've heard the word Trinity. Um, we all hear this word. But many of us, uh, actually most of us know what the concept of the Trinity is. But many Christians don't have a full understanding of all that it entails. The Trinity, the Godhead, three in one. So today, we're going to go through a crash course on Trinitarian doctrine. And I got two points for you. Two points. So yes, we, when you read the Bible... Um, if you were to read it cover to cover, you would never find the word Trinity in the Bible. You you wouldn't be able to find it. So that begs the question, where does it come from? Where does this come from? Where does this concept come from? There's no word Trinity, but there's a lot of evidence of the Trinity in Scripture. So I go to Matthew 3.16. Matthew 3.16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Let me break this scene up for you. All three persons of the Trinity are here in this scene. There's Jesus, the Son, coming out of the water when he was baptized. There's God, the Father, witnessing this baptism. Right? This is when he says, this is my Son, with whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit of God descending like a dove alighting to Jesus. All three, right here, one scene. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' great commission to us, calling us to baptize in the name of God, the three persons, the Godhead. So in the first service, we did see a couple baptisms. And when they were baptized, we baptize in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26. When the advocate comes, the helper, whom I, this is Jesus speaking, will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So this is Jesus' promise to us regarding the spirit of God who comes from God, who will stand in Jesus' place, to advocate for the people of God. And I want you to notice something here, right? He doesn't talk about the spirit of God like it's an it, right? The spirit of God is not like a force, not like gravity. The spirit of God is a person, right? It has a person to it, not like a human person, but it's a being, it has a person to it. So he even says, he will testify about me. The spirit speaks, So it's not the mysterious force. It's not a Jedi thing. This is Jesus' promise that we have a spirit who comes from God who will stand in his place. So there are many references in the Bible throughout Scripture. And these three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are who we are referring to when we say Trinity. Simple enough. They are all God, but they are not all each other. All right? And now this is to say they are all fully God, but they are not each other. So this is a profound mystery that we don't really have a full explanation to. And a lot of times people come up with analogies right, to, to explain how the Trinity works. Right? One might say, oh, God is like water. The Trinity is like water. Right? There's liquid water, there's ice, and then there's vapor. And a the theologian, if you, if, if you said this to a theologian, they would say, wrong. No, that is not accurate. And then they would say, this is modalism. Meaning that this is making God take on different forms. And that's not how God works. God is not in, in three separate forms. Right? And then one might say, oh, then God is like a three-leaf clover. Right, he is all one, but three parts. And then they would say, "Wrong, wrong," because all are fully God. They are not thirty-three point three 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 percent God. They are all one hundred percent God. Right, and so you get this picture. It's called the Shield of the Trinity. Right, and it, I, I don't have the screen behind me, but um, on the shield, the Shield of the Trinity is essentially it says. Uh, in, the, in the middle, that says God, right? And you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They are all God, but they are not each other, right? That's how this works. All three are God, but they are not each other. This is a profound mystery. And one thing we also confuse, too, is that they are all together, living together in perfect Uh, concert with each each other. They work together in concert and they live in perfect obedience, right? Jesus was sent by the Father, lived in perfect obedience to the Father, but Jesus is not a lesser form of God. The Holy Spirit is not a lesser form of God. In John 10, Jesus says, the Father and I are one, right? Jesus is fully God. The Spirit is fully God. So I'm gonna go uh, to John 1 right now. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Jump to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is talking about way before creation. This is the beginning, beginning right, before the creation account, and tangent on the creation account in Genesis, we even see that there's evidence of the triune God. It says the spirit of God hovered over the dark waters in Genesis, right? And when, if you remember, when God creates man and woman, he says, let us make them, uh, let us make them in our image, right, a plural form, our image, And through the Psalms and the prophets, there are mentions of the Godhead, the the spirit of God. It is very consistent. So this isn't just picking and choosing. This is consistent throughout all scripture that God is a three-in-one God. But I want to focus on verse 3. Verse 3 here. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. This word is talking about Jesus, if you didn't get that. The word became that became flesh, that is Jesus. And it says that through this word, all things were made. That means what? That Jesus took part in creation. Jesus was there. Jesus was present. Jesus was active in creation. Before the beginning of everything. Jesus is fully God. So why is this all important to take into account when we pray and read scripture? Thank you for asking that question. That's a great question. Well, we, As we read scripture with co- this context in mind, we have to understand that we see so much more of how God, who God is and how God works. This is why the Trinity is important. The Trinity is important because we see more of who God is and how he works. So I have two points for why the Trinity is important. One, God is an intimate and loving God by nature. God is an intimate and loving God by nature. Intimacy is in the very nature of God. God is entirely communal. He is in community with himself, essentially, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And this is to say that these persons, right, God, did not initiate the creation of all creation because he was lonely, because he needed somebody, or because you know, there was a lack of something. Right, That's one. God was not lonely. He was already loving. Right, They were always loving each other, with each other in that way. Even First John says God is love. He is the embodiment of love. So his nature was, in creation, was to love. And we even when we see re- the, the act of redemption, God in his nature, his desire for redemption of creation when the fall happened, right? He is to find a way to bring his people back to himself because what God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son Jesus to die on our behalf. And when we look at John 1, I think a line that... Uh, it. it, it it gets skipped over a lot, is this idea that Jesus made his dwelling among us. I love this line because this line is, uh, it, it essentially um, sets the tone of the whole book of John. Because if you read the book of John, it's a testimony. This is John's experience. This is what John saw, what John touched, what John responded to. And when we see that Jesus made his dwelling among us. What does that mean? That means that Jesus was accessible. He could be heard. He could be spoken to. That is who Jesus is. That he could be touched. There was a closeness. There was proximity there. That tells us, as the people of God, that we too are called to live in intimacy with him. We are called to that. Ephesians 1, it says, we are called into sonship. We've been adopted into sonship. And this isn't that, like, it's all about sons, right? Sonship means we are called into the family of God as sons and daughters of the king of kings. But this sonship, this idea of being adopted into God's family. And I know some of you get, like, kind of put off by the idea of being children of God. But what that relationship is to define is the closeness that you have with him. You are close to him because he desires you to be close to him. We're called to share in the triune life of God. We're called to share in that. So if you don't understand that intimacy is a huge part of the nature of God, then you're actually not able to fully grasp the nature of the work of the cross. Right? See, a lot of the times when we think of the cross, we're like, man... All the sin was put onto this cross. All of God's anger and wrath was put there and Jesus took it all. And it's true. It's true. Those things did happen. But was it really just to satiate his judgment? Yes. God is a perfectly just God. He hates evil. He hates sin. But that was not his primary motivator for the cross. The primary motivator for the work of the cross is love. Amen. It's love. Years ago, um, before I became a pastor, I was still in corporate banking. I was on my way out to become a pastor. I met this guy at a bar, and you know, we had first met. We he was like uh, through an acquaintance or something like that. We were talking. And he was like, I'm going to be a pastor, huh? Ha! What a joke. I was like, oh, that's not how I make friends. But he's like, you know, I've been to church before. For years, I went to church. I was like, great. He's like, man, it doesn't make sense. I was like, oh, why doesn't it make sense? This whole Jesus thing. Thing, this whole cross thing. It never needed to happen. I was like, what do you mean? Well, if God is so mighty, if God is all powerful, he could. And everything would be fine. Sin would be gone. And everyone would come to him. And everything, it wouldn't be as it is. We wouldn't have this struggle. But he doesn't do it. And I'm like, you're right. He doesn't. And he's like, so? And I was like, so? right? And that conversation went nowhere because he was like 10 drinks in. But what you see there is just that deep misunderstanding of God's nature. It doesn't make sense for God to do that if you know God's nature. If you understand that in his character, he's not just going to come and be like, fix you. You know, it's not about that. It's about the relationship. It's about the proximity. It's about bringing his people in. It's about a sacrifice of love for his people because he has a deep longing for his people to know him. He longs for his people to know him. That's what Jeremiah says. I want my people to know me. And I will call them my people and they will call me their God. That is who God is a deep, loving, intimate God. And the second, second point is God is all about unity. God is all about unity. John 17, 20. There's a, this is a prayer we see, uh, Jesus praying to the Father, and there's like a meme that's going to come up on the screen. I just really like this meme. It's Jesus praying, and he's like, are you there, Dad? It's me, you. This is very inaccurate. <laughs> This is very inaccurate. Do not, do not refer to this meme at all. This is, this is a, an example of what not to do. But I think it's funny. It's me, you. Uh, anyway. Um, stop. Yeah. He's praying for the disciples because he's about to depart from them. And he knows that the road forward is going to be hard. So Jesus is praying. Verse 20. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What do we see here? Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying for unity. He's praying for unity. I think that's a very interesting prayer to pray for. Unity. That glory he refers to, he says, I I have given them the glory that you gave me. That word glory is referring to the manifestation of God's character. Right? So what do we mean by this? Two weeks ago, we talked about the parables of the sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the, the lost son. Right? These parables were meant to disrupt people's understandings of God because they were wrong, they were mistaken. Right? He's showing them God's glory by showing them God's character. That's what he's doing. So what he, when he says, I have given them your glory, what he's saying is, I'm showing them your character, God. Right? Because God's people, the religious leaders, they have lost sight of God's character. And when I see this, when I see that Jesus is praying for this, right? I see the same thing I see in uh, Ephesians 3. If you read Ephesians 3, at the very end, Paul says, God, would you give your people power? Right? We talked about this. Would you give your people power to understand the height, the width, the depth of your love? just to understand that. When I see those types of prayers in scripture, that tells me these are supernatural things. They're not simple. It's not like Jesus doesn't tell his disciples, go, go promote unity. Do it. That's not his command. He goes away and he says, God, help them find unity. It's a supernatural thing. And what I see here, the way I interpret this is true unity is about different people coming together as we model the Trinity. It's about different people coming together as one to be one, in one essence, essentially one church. Right? It's not about conformity. It's not about assimilation. Right? But it's a, it's a diverse oneness that we have. We are not all each other, but we are the church. The fact that we see Jesus praying over this again, supernatural, because when this happens, when this supernatural act of unity happens, what does Jesus say? Christ says, "What? Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me." Wow. It's not through this. It's not through whatever activities that we're doing. It's it's our unity that will be the message to the world that God loves them. Jeez. How supernatural, how powerful that unity is. Incredible. Now, many of us have grown up with a twisted vision of God. I did. And I think like, um, I don't know, I don't think it came from a bad place. A malicious place. But uh, many have a a, a very guilt-motivated procession of the Father, right? A, A lot of the sermons preached when people were younger is, you're so bad, you sinner. Stop sinning. Jesus died for your sin. It's all there. He sacrificed his son for sinners like you. And you're like, oh my God. Yes, I'm so bad. He's so good. Thank you for being so good. Because I'm so bad, right? And then there's this like weird thing that happens where you're almost like making yourself lesser of than who you actually are. See, we, we said that all three persons of the Trinity are God in his fullness, right? You know that we say that the spirit of God resides in you. That the spirit of God is in you. What does that mean? As we share in this life of the Trinity, as we are called sons and daughters, as we're called a royal priesthood to the king of kings, I think that many of us actually underestimate who we are. And like, man, I sat down last I, I'm like, listen, I, I, need, I need to level, right? We need to level here. This is not to guilt anyone. This is not to shame anyone, right? If you are a believer, if you believe that God, the Father, right, has claimed you as his own through his son, Jesus Christ, that you were given an advocate, the spirit of God that resides in you, how does that affect the way you live? For you parents, when was the last time You laid a hand on your child to just pray for them. To pray for your child. That this child of yours would have revelation. That they would know God intimately. That they would be empowered. That you could impart the spirit of God to your child. When was the last time you thought to do that? When was the last time you thought to do that to a friend? My wife is having like mom's night at our house or something like that. When was the last time during one of those nights you were like, man, I just want to pray for you? I just want to, I just want to lay a hand on you and I, I, just, want, I, I just feel the spirit of God telling me I, I need to pray for you. And, you. and you pray over your person because your prayers are powerful. If you are spirit-filled people, then you will pray a spirit-filled prayer. Amen. When was the last time You thought that you could open up your home and that your home would be a place where people could find rest, safety, fellowship, community. That's what we see in the ex-church. Now, am I guilting you because you have a house? No, absolutely not. I'm saying is, we need to change our perspective on ourselves as we understand more of who God is. Because God claimed us as his people, right? If we are God's people, then how are we to live our lives? I hope that all of you would do that, would really embrace this identity that you have. And now, this, you're not, you don't have to walk with like a strut, right? This is not some machismo thing. man that when you tr- when you pray for somebody you really are doing something Amen. you really are working that's power let's pray together Uh, I'm going to do it. Let's just do an exercise. It's a Quaker prayer. Uh, This is not like an incantation or anything like that. It's just really just a way to connect, you know, the physical body with the mental, with the spiritual, right? It's just an exercise. And what I like you to do is just take your hands and put them palms facing down, right? And this is a release. Release. God, I release fear. God, I release anxiety. I release hesitation. I release unbelief. Would you just pray that for yourselves? God, I release anything that is not of you. Fill in the blank. God, I release my idols. God, I release my lack of discipline. God, I release all the things that compete with you. But my sense right now is, let's just really pray. God, I release hesitation. I think many of you have had opportunities to minister, to be the hands and feet of Christ. And maybe you thought it'd be weird or awkward. I pray that you would let that hesitation go and that you would take a chance. And now if you could take your hands and just turn them, palms facing up. This is to receive And if we pray together, God, I would like to receive what you have for me. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I pray that we would live in obedience to that. Father, thank you, Lord, for who you are and how you speak to your people. Not just me, but all your people. Each and every one. I pray, God, that they would know you. That they would know the ferocity of your love. How you desire them. How you desire to be with them. That, God, you are a good God loves his people. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.